Hey, how many of you have seen the movie Wizard of Oz? Quite a few of us. Pretty well-known movie. And uh, the uh, movie, I remember watching it as a kid. And you remember the main characters? There was, you know, uh, Dorothy and her dog, Toto. And then there was the Tin Man, the Scarecrow, and the Cowardly... Right. And they're making their way towards the Emerald City. They want to meet the Wizard of Oz. And they're told that as long as they follow the what? The Yellow Brick Road. They'll get there. Now, there's a wicked witch that gives them a lot of trouble along the way. But as they're making their way, they, they start looking for shortcuts. And one of the shortcuts they take is they get off the road and they walk through a poppy field. I've never forgotten this scene. And as they begin to walk through the poppies, at first it's pleasant, and they just find themselves, you know, wow. And then, not long after being in the poppy field, what happens? They fall asleep. They're off mission. I mean, it's up for grabs whether or not they're going to get to the Emerald City. But some snow begins to fall. And as the snowflakes hit them, all of a sudden they wake up and they realize what they've done. They realize what's happened. And they make their way further to the Emerald City. They got awakened. And I wonder what God might use in your life to awaken you spiritually, not just once, but how many of us have learned that the Christian life really is a long journey. It really is so daily. And we need different things at different times to wake us up. And so if you're following along today in the notes, I'm excited as we study this series in Psalms today. As Chuck already referenced, if you don't know this, <clears throat> the word Psalms in Hebrew language just means songs. And what we're going to learn is that these 150 psalms in the middle of the Bible were originally set to music. We don't have the music anymore, the melodies, but we have the lyrics. We have the heart of what God wanted to teach the people. And it served as the songbook for the people of Israel for a long time. And then for many hundreds of years now has been the prayer book of God's people. I know some people that as they pray their way through the psalms, they connect with God in some mighty ways, and maybe that's you. But if you're following along, psalms mean songs that can awaken our sleepy souls to the Lord. Psalms mean songs that can awaken our sleepy souls to the Lord. If you've been with us for any length of time now, you've heard us say this probably a hundred times. We believe God is calling us as a church to declare war on shallow Christianity, beginning with ourselves. Shallow Christianity is Sunday-only Christianity. One hour on Sunday. The rest of the week is mine. Shallow Christianity is sleepy Christianity. And I don't know about you, but no matter how many years I've walked with Christ, I find myself susceptible to becoming sleepy. I find myself so susceptible to becoming shallow. And therefore, I want you to understand today that as we study the very first psalm in the book of Psalms, the reason I'm excited about it today is because it is going to address something that will help us be more mature. I want to talk to you today about our thought life. I want to talk to you about what you think about 168 hours of the week, 24 hours a day. I want to talk to you about what's going through your mind these days and how important it is. And I hope you'll see today that as we study this psalm, God wants us to know 
that what we allow to shape our thoughts will shape our life. What we allow to influence the way we think will shape our whole life, and it'll lead somewhere. It'll lead somewhere. And so um, John Ortberg had this statement recently on Twitter, and I wrote it down, and I want to share it with you. Here's what it says. Mature, and that's what we say we're after here together, mature human beings will be very careful about what they allow their minds to dwell on. Mature human beings will be very careful about what they allow their minds to dwell on. Where's your mind these days? What are you allowing it to dwell on? Because whatever you allow to shape your thinking will shape your life. And God wants us to understand that there is a very powerful option and invitation in this psalm. So if you're following along, here's what I hope you notice. He introduces, the Lord introduces to us right out of the gates here in Psalm 1, two groups, two ways, two destinies. Two groups, two ways, two destinies. Now you'll notice in the notes that I talk about the righteous person and the wicked person, as this psalm talks about. But every time it says the righteous or the wicked, it's plural. And therefore it's saying, which group are you part of? And what is the way of your life? You know, I don't know if you've noticed this, but Christianity is not just an hour on Sunday. It's a way. It's a way of life. And when you and I begin to understand that, a whole world opens up to us. And therefore, every one of us has a way, but is it God's way? Is it the one that he counsels us? And then notice that every one of us, no matter which way we pick, it has a destiny. It has an outcome. And we're going to see that this morning in this psalm. So I hope that, again, you'll find yourself thinking about your thought life today and what God might be able to do in the days ahead to awaken you to how important it is what you do with your thought life if you're going to live a rich life with the Lord. And um, I love the poem by Robert Frost that says, Two roads diverged in a wood and I. I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Would you pray with me? Now, Lord, I'm so excited because I thank you for the people in the past that have imparted some of these things to me. These aren't original to me. You have been so gracious to teach me through other people. I pray now that somehow, through your word, through your Holy Spirit, and through my Teaching, I pray that somehow you might impart something to each of us. We need you. Oh, how we need you. Wake us up. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, I want you to see in the notes today that where we're going is first we're going to look at the first three verses and we're going to see what Psalm 1 says about the righteous person. Don't be put off by that. It's not the self-righteous person. It's a good word in the Bible. And we're going to see in verses 4 and 5 and 6 about the wicked person or, or the wicked group. And again, we have all kinds of things that come to our mind when we talk about wicked, so I'm going to kind of unpack that. And then here's what I hope happens is that before we're done today and after we're done today is that you will find yourself, because of studying this psalm together, you will awaken to the Lord's wisdom in a fresh way in your life, even if you've already known this before. So I want to ask you, if you would, to read verses 1 and 2. I've listed them in this case in the gray box, but before we do that, I haven't invited you to open your Bible yet, have I? So I want to do that, and I know some of you may not have brought one. Please don't feel sub-spiritual if you didn't, but I want you to know that it's a great practice. 
We're hoping that you will bring your Bible off, and if you don't have one, there's red ones hopefully close by you in the seat rack. Pull it out, take it home with you today. We'll replace it. But we want every person to be a first-hander in the, in, the, in the Bible. Let me say one more thing. When I was a teenager, I thought about this this week. When I was a teenager, somebody that was teaching me said, okay, you guys, if you want to find Psalms, it's usually near the middle of the Bible. That was really helpful to me. Now, I don't know if it's true in every case for everybody's Bible, but if you're looking for Psalms now, which I'm going to invite you to turn to in your Bibles, just try and open it somewhere near the middle. And uh, again, it's, it's, it's pretty close to the middle. So Psalm 1 is what we're going to study. And uh, we're going to read verse 1 and 2 together off the same translation on the notes. Would you read that with me on the gray box out loud? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinner, nor sits in the seat of the scoffer, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Whenever the Bible talks about a righteous person, I love what Habakkuk 2.4 says, the righteous will live by faith. In other words, that means that righteous people aren't superior. Righteous people understand that the way they need to live is dependence upon God and not themselves. Righteous people understand that they need to trust God and what he thinks and what he sees and how he sees life more than they trust in themselves. We've all been around self-righteous people. The Bible has no interest in shoring up that kind of attitude. It wants us to be righteous people, humble people that depend, trust, have faith in God and what he says. So this righteous person, notice one of the marks of this, and I want you to notice that when it starts, by the way, how does Psalm 1 start? What's the very first word? Blessed. Anybody here interested in being blessed? Anybody here interested in knowing what it's like to have a blessed life? I think all of us want that. Interestingly, the word actually is plural, so it could be translated, oh, the blessednesses of. Isn't that cool? And it means this, it means that when you experience this blessing, it's multiplied, and in many cases, it's intensified in your life. Oh, the blessednesses. This word can also mean, oh, the happinesses of. Uh, you really want to know what true happiness, true blessedness is, follow what happens next. So the first thing we see is that the righteous person humbly avoids ungodly counsel and input. The righteous person starts with a negative, humbly avoids ungodly counsel and input. When God invites us to follow him, even as he did in the garden, he said, here are the things I'm going to invite you to do, and here's the things I'm going to invite you to avoid. And I'm asking you to do that, not because I'm trying to make your life a straitjacket or take the joy out of your life. It's because I care about you. I want the best for you. And there are some things that can destroy your life, even though they don't look at it like it at first. And therefore, I'm the righteous person, they believe that. And they, so they, they make very sure that they do not regularly take in large doses of ungodly counsel and input. Some of us go, Jeff, do you live in the real world? It's everywhere. And I know that. And Martin Luther said this. He said, we can't keep birds from flying around our head but we can keep them from making nests in our hair. Friends, just because you may hear different things or different people may be on a different track than you, part of learning how to live in this age is learning how not to let certain things make nests in our hair. 
to dwell on them. What this is talking about is an established practice. It does not mean that we can't traffic with other people who don't believe in God. We need to care about those people, but we need to be careful how much influence we allow, we permit. Nowadays, friends, through talk radio and through all the different things on TV and through all the things that are available on the internet, through our tablets, our smartphones, our, you know, our computers, everything. It's just an amazing world we live in, and you and I are responsible for our thought life. And therefore, we need to make some decisions. This is not going to be an easy thing. But a righteous person says, I will do whatever it takes to make sure that what is feeding my mind, what is feeding my thought life is God-honoring and not ungodly counsel and input. And what makes it tricky is that sometimes ungodly counsel sounds good at first, but behind it is a lie. Do some of you remember, if you've ever read Genesis 3, how the serpent, Satan, tricked Adam and Eve? God said, he put them in the garden and says, all this is yours. Be fruitful and multiply. There's just one thing I want to ask you to do. Please do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because of the day you eat of it, you shall surely, what? Die. Satan's strategy was this threefold. Very first thing we ever hear Satan say. Did God say? Did God say? Kind of like, can you believe that? Did God say? And he is always attacking what God says or twisting it. Second thing he says, you will not die. That's a bold-faced lie, friends. It's a bold-faced lie. But he already had enough influence on them that they were willing to still listen to him. And the third thing is he says, God knows that the day you, you eat of it, your eyes will be open and he's holding out on you. He attacks God's character. And friends, there are all kinds of things, ungodly counsel and input. We need to be very careful about the intake of our lives. I've listed out to the right, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. The Bible says ungodly company corrupts morals, character. You and I, we need to be careful about what kind of binding friendships and close friendships we have in terms of the influence because we're responsible for what goes on in our hearts and minds. The second thing is that the right, by the way, what are, what are some examples of ungodly counsel when it comes our way? Some of them might sound like this. Do whatever feels right. There's no judgment day. God will never forgive you. If God ever found, if, if people ever found out about that, Oh my goodness. Hide, blame, don't forgive. Make them pay. Later, not now. Buy it. You deserve it. Friends, we hear all these voices all the time, and many times they are not godly counsel. You've heard them, I've heard them. We need to make sure we do not build a nest in our hair for those. Avoid those. And make sure that we're responsible. Second thing is the righteous person thinks often of, if you're following along, delights in the Lord's instruction. I love that word delights. You may want to circle that. Delights in the Lord's instruction. Now, oftentimes we would think that since it started off with something negative we might avoid, that really the most blessed person is the one that just avoids all the bad stuff. And I've met a lot of people with what I call reverse righteousness. Oh, here's all the things I don't do. 
I just eventually want to say, what do you do? Because your life sounds dull, boring, and very uninteresting. You're like, anything delight you besides not doing stuff? Oh, yeah. This person delights. Delights. Can you picture the joy? Does that sound boring to you? They delight and they go, this is good stuff. I've watched a lot of people delight in sports events. I've watched a lot of people delight in concerts. I've watched a lot of people delight in Target. I've watched a lot of people delight. We all, we all do. But what do you delight in? What's delighting you these days? Can I just tell you, when I pick up a Bible, this delights me. This is the greatest gift besides Jesus and the Holy Spirit God could have ever given us in the body of Christ, the Word of God. Is instruction. And you know, I don't get it all, but it delights me even when I don't understand it because I know that I can keep learning. What an incredible gift. And so you picture this person, they delight, and they're, they're thinking about his instruction. Now, when you hear, when you see the word, it, they delight in the law of the Lord. Most of us go, the law. Because we go, oh gosh, rules. That's not what the Bible means here. If that's what you think of with law, let me explain what law means. The word is Torah, Torah, and it means direction or instruction. It means very wise instruction and direction. Anybody need that? I do. But this is the best. This is the best instruction and direction you'll ever get. And it's not just rules. It's not just mechanics that God's talking about. It's a whole way of life. It's a spirit of life. So this instruction teaches you very practically not just what to do, but the spirit in which to do it. And therefore, God is interested in creating in us a delightful spirit that just says, this is, this is living. Oh, the blessednesses. Oh, the happinesses of this. I am so thankful God is my instructor, my teacher. And there is this whole idea. And then, then we run into this next thing that makes it sound like it's only for super Christians. And that's this idea, an honest law, he meditates day and night. Oh well, I have a job, I have to watch children, I'm going to school, I guess I'll have to decide to be a monk later. The word meditate, for some of us, stirs up this image, that we must be completely in solitude, we must make it completely quiet, and then we must empty our minds. That's what some people teach meditation is. The biblical idea of meditation is the exact opposite. Meditation is filling our minds with what God says, and meditation is something that can be done in solitude or on the move, in every moment of life, in every traffic pattern. And some people go, well, like, I still, that doesn't help me. Okay, let me explain this. Do you realize that every person meditates all day long? You meditate all day long, whether you realize it or not. It's just, what do you meditate on? And uh, let me explain the meaning of this a little bit more. Literally, the word means to mutter, to mumble, to speak aloud day and night. That means that you are the kind of person that people think is mentally ill. <laughs> no, it's this idea that once you, once you hear something, you, you continue rolling it over in your mind again, sometimes even whispering it out loud or going, okay, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And there's this engagement where you're actually teaching yourself and learning your, what you're hearing. 
So I've watched people amaze me how they've meditated on country western songs, country songs. I've sat in cars with people. It didn't matter what song came on next in the radio. They knew every word of every song. And I thought, they've been meditating. That didn't happen by accident. What happened is, it became part of them. Isn't that necessarily a bad thing? You know, it's kind of depressing uh, to memorize country songs, isn't it? Just kidding. <laughs> the point is, is that people know the words to that. They meditated. I've met people. They meditate. I know people that know more lines from movies than they do the Bible. They could, they're just like a walking guide to almost any movie. And they'll go, oh, here's a line. And I've done it too. But I'm just saying is, again, what are we meditating on? Some people meditate on stock prices. Some people meditate on home designs, interior, out, exterior. Some people meditate on clothing. A lot of us sometimes meditate on food. There's lots of stuff you can meditate on. The question is, is what are you meditating on all throughout the day? The next question comes is, yeah, but like if I meditate, how can I do that and do my job or pay attention and, you know, not, okay? And here's the thing I want to just remind you. You do realize that you can do more than one thing at once, don't you? It's called the power of combining. I learned this when I first learned how to drive a stick shift. I could not believe how my left foot had to be involved with a clutch, my right foot had to be involved with a gas pedal, my right hand had to be on the stick shift, my left hand had to be on the wheel, I had to look through the windshield and remember all the right order without absolutely killing the car in the middle of the street. But I learned, and I learned that. But probably the place I learned it best is when I watched Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs as a kid. Stay with me here. <laughs> Some of you are getting worried about me. <laughs> some of you saw that movie, whether you'll admit it or not. And some of you remember what song the seven dwarfs sang when they made their way back home to, Dorth I mean, to uh, Snow White. I'm back in two stories now. <laughs> Whistle while you work. Hmm. That means you can do more than one thing while you work. Anybody ever notice that you can whistle while you work? Well, if you can whistle while you work, is it possible to meditate on something while you work? Absolutely. Many of us do. The question is, what is it? Is it God's instruction, God's counsel? Let me just tell you how it's worked out in my life. I've learned that no matter where I am, I can be listening to someone and I can have a running conversation where I say, Lord, would you teach me how to see this person and listen to them better? Would you help me catch what I might not normally catch when I'm with this person? Will you show me that if I've got a bad attitude or a superior attitude or a you know, grumpy, irritating attitude right now, will you teach me how to learn how to do that differently? I'm doing that while I'm interacting with people. Some of you know that you can exercise and take something with you. And it's a power of combining. You can meditate day and night. And you already do. But what is it on? So here's the picture that God gives us. He says, let me show you what happens when a humbly righteous person avoids ungodly counsel and thinks often and delights in the Lord's instruction and meditates on his law, his instruction, his direction day and night. Let me tell you what happens. Here it is if you're following along. The picture is of a fruitful tree planted by water that's vital 
year round. It's a fruitful tree planted by water. Look up here on the screen, if you will. Do you see this? I love this picture. Well, that's a nice picture, but has anybody noticed it's been kind of hot here lately? Anybody notice the temperatures? Uh, anybody notice the color of our grass lately? What's happening? Yeah, I'll tell you what, man. When the hot winds come, when they're beating down, whew, well, it's hard. It's hard for the leaves to stay green. What's the secret? It all depends on what you have your roots into. And the Bible is saying is that no matter what storm comes, what hot winds may come, whatever challenge comes your way, even when you die, you can still be full of life, even with your last breath, if your roots are in the Lord and his instruction. What a great picture. I'm so thankful for that. And that leads us then to see what verses 4 and 5 in them say about the wicked person, okay? The wicked person. Would you read verse 3 and 4 in the notes with me, and then I'll read verse 5 and 6 out loud, but let's read verse 3 and 4 that makes this segue between the two. They are like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked they are like chaff that the wind blows away. What I, some of us, when we hear the word wicked, certain things come to our minds. Nowadays, it's a Broadway show. And uh, the whole Broadway show called Wicked is just huge uh, interest in that. I'm not talking about that kind of wicked. I'm not talking about a Broadway show. When the Bible says wicked, the picture here, we often picture axe murderers, child molesters, all those kind of things. The word wicked in the Bible just simply means someone who's gotten twisted. The idea of a wicked person is someone who no longer lives outward for God, but now is turned in on themselves. Their whole way of life is oriented to my way will make me happy. What I think, I'm the reference point. And therefore, the Bible says all of us, all of us, without the Lord's forgiveness and redemption, are wicked in that sense. We may not be the ultimate extreme version of wicked, but all of us have become twisted by our self-centeredness and our sin and our choices. And so people that live in an established pattern of wickedness, they make different choices unless they change their minds. Let's look at what it says about the wicked person. The wicked person proudly refuses to live with God at the center. The wicked person proudly refuses to live with God at the center. Look at Romans 1, 21 and 22, if you would, here on the screen. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their what, friends? Thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became what? And there is an intellectual pride. You know, you can go to a Christian seminary and become intellectually haughty. I did. It's dangerous. But this kind of thing, it says, I'm the reference point to my life. I decide what's wise and what's not wise. I make the choices in this house. And that kind of thing, friends, I just got to tell you, people that are wicked forget God, refuse God, they don't let them be at the center. 
You know, from time to time I have people say, you know, my friends at work are telling me to leave my spouse because they say just follow your heart. If it feels right. And I share this verse with you. I've never forgotten. Billy Graham shared it years ago. Proverbs 14, 12. Look at what it says. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And there's lots of things that are advertising that seem so wise. We get into them and go, I don't think I was as smart as I thought I was. But I refuse to live with God at the center and let his instruction be my delight. The wicked person secondly resents the Lord's instruction and eventually becomes a scoffer. If you're following along, the wicked person resents the Lord's instruction and eventually becomes a scoffer. I hope you'll see this way back in verse 1. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners. Notice they didn't just walk in, but now they're actually staying for a while. And as they stay for a while, now they're sitting for a long time. It is a progressive thing. I've shared this before. Some of you have seen this quote before. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, cost you more than you want to pay. That's the problem when we open ourselves up to any other way than God's. It's progressive. It doesn't just stay. It may be by degree, but eventually it'll lead us to a place of scoffing. Some of us, we picture people that go, oh, that's so stupid. And we picture people that are obnoxious like that. Anybody had in your heart when you saw someone that was trying to obey God with a humble heart go, oh my gosh, that's so prudish. That's so puritanical. They're just, oh, holy roller. There's this scoffing spirit that can happen sometimes in people that wear nice clothes and think they've got a good heart. But this scoffing thing going on is a sign that wickedness is working its way out. Oh, man. We need to be humble and careful about that. And so it gives us a picture of what can happen eventually in our life. And here's the picture if you're following along. Fruitless chaff blown away by the wind. Fruitless chaff blown away by the wind. I don't know if you know what chaff is. When several of us were on that mission trip in February, I saw this happening along the side of the road. It's called winnowing or threshing. It's the separating of the wheat or the grain from the chaff. The chaff is the outer husk, outer shell, very, you know, thin, but they're separating that. And what they did in the Bible is they would put threshing floors up usually in high places where the wind would be good. So they'd take the grain and they'd throw it up or throw it with a winnowing fork. John the Baptist said the Lord's winnowing fork is in his hand. He meant the time of separation is coming between the righteous and the wicked. And what would happen is, is that the chaff would be separated because it would blow away. It had no weight and the grain would fall to the ground. And whatever wasn't blown away, the chaff that remained was thrown into the fire. That's all it was worth. It's worthless. The Bible says is that you and I, if we continue to allow the thought processes of our life to be influenced and shaped by anything other than the Lord's instruction and his direction, it will lead to chaff. Farmer in our church, farmer in our church, uh, Give me a little help on this. I kind of want you to just to see this picture. That's Chef. You know, there's some things we think that are so important right now. There's some things that we think the world says, this is really living. And in an event, all it's really doing is hollowing out our lives. We place so much emphasis on the outer 
husk. There's nothing substantial about God going on in our lives. He says, come on, be wiser than that. I want to help you. Choose well. So, yes, but how? Sometimes I write YBH in the margins of my Bible. When I see the Lord tell us something, I go, yes, but how? How do we do this? In the closing moments, I just want to be incredibly practical. So here we are, awakened to the Lord's wisdom. Here's a couple questions. And by the way, I never did read verse 5 and 6, so let me read that. It says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. What do we want to do if we really believe the Lord's telling us the truth? The first thing is, is a question. And I want to ask you to keep your notes out because I have one more thing to do before you put your notes away after we talk about these two. First, Lord, is there anything I read, watch, or listen to that I need to quit today? Is there anything I read, watch, or listen to that I need to quit today? If I'm responsible for what is shaping my thoughts, is there anything right now through any venue that's available to me that I read, watch, or listen to that I know, I know the Lord's putting his finger on that. Some of you know, I've told this honestly, is that I learned that I had to change my cable package to make sure that certain things did not flow in my life. I did that and then noticed that if I still had Netflix, I needed to learn different ways. There's different things. We have to make up our minds that we don't want to be shallow, chappy Christians. And here's what I've found. I go through seasons from time to time when just because of the diet, the intake, what I allow to go through my thoughts, I wake up and the fact is my life's just become kind of chaffy. I have weeks that I go, what? <laughs> I'm not. There's, there's not a richness of relationship with the Lord right now. What am I doing? And those moments come, and can I just, here's the word I put in my notes to the left, humility. You know what righteous people eventually say is, I am not as smart as I think I am. I am not. I, I am not as strong as I think I am. I need to honor the Lord and avoid the things and quit the things and put a stop to different things. Some people may not have to do it. I need to do it. I'm going to be big enough to put my big boy pants on and do this with the Lord's help. Stop avoiding the wrong things. Uh, just avoid the wrong things. Second thing is, teach me how to delight in your law day and night. Teach me how to delight in your law day and night. I love Psalm 19.7. Look at this verse right here on the screen. Let's read it together. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Look at Psalm 25, verse 4 and 5. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. Show me your ways, O oh Lord. Teach me your paths. I know I live in a tricky world, but I want to have my thought life be the kind that has a fruitful tree. No matter what happens, I don't want to become chaff. Show me, Lord. And so the question here, and again, keep your notes out, but I put the word hunger to the left of this last line. What do I hunger for? And so I put this phrase, teach me how to delight in your law day and night. 
And if you turn your notes over to the back, I've shared this one other time, but I thought this might be a good time to share it again. People say, the Bible is so huge. It's so big. Where do I start? We give a challenge every year, and we say, look, can you be in the Bible every day? You don't have to read huge chapters, but can you expose yourself? Can you stay within the hearing range of God's voice? We had a man in his mid-age, uh, uh, middle-age guy come to our office just recently, and he was so excited. He's been coming to our church a couple years, and he just said, I wanted to re- you to rejoice with me. For the first time in my whole life, I've read the Bible from cover to cover. I took the challenge. And I don't understand everything, but I'm different because I did. Friends, I have no shame telling you that you would not be wasting your time if each morning you carve out some time to do that. But in the midst of the big book, when I was in high school, this was given to me by my youth leaders, and I was challenged to memorize all 60 of these references. And it, it, it served me well. My dad would learned these when he was in college. And you may say, well, I'm not good at memorizing. That's okay. What if you took these verses and began to write them out on cards? And you just began to meditate and repeat them again and again. Down at the bottom, you'll see the word soap. Wayne Cordero is a pastor in Hawaii. We've talked about this before, but he taught his congregation that there's a real simple practice, the beginning of your day or at certain part of the day when you're really trying to just be influenced by what God says, take one of these scriptures and write it out in your own hand. So S for scripture. Then O, make an observation. What do you notice where you're standing at this point in your life? What do you notice? What stands out to you? Observation A, what's the application? What do you think the Lord's saying as a result of reading this? Now, here's an adjustment I need to make in my life, or here's something I need to do with even more octane and wholeheartedness. And the last thing is prayer. P, end the reading time by just saying, Lord, would you let this become more a part of me and not just words? Show me how to practice this today. And this has changed this church. This has changed people that have done it. Some of you may say, like, Jeff, how do do you do this? I know you're an extra credit Christian as a pastor. Friends, I never knew I was going to be a pastor. I've been doing this even before I was a pastor. I took business cards this week, and I wrote the six verses out on a card. And then when Trish and I exercised together this week, I would read them out loud to her. And over and over again, we'd repeat them again and then say, what are you noticing? What are you hearing? And we could just feel the word of God creating something more substantial in our heart. Do you realize this afternoon, you could do that? You don't have to be an extra credit Christian. You might take one of these verses this week and just say, Lord, I'm, a new, I'm just such a beginner at this, but will you show me how to be blessed? That's what he wants for you. And I'm praying the message today helped you awaken you in a fresh way to what could happen in your life. As we prepare for communion, will you pray with me, please? Oh, Lord, now as we take communion, I pray that every person here will understand that even this afternoon, they can begin to rearrange and orient their life. They can begin to walk in a new way. They can make some changes so they avoid the the wrong things and fill their minds with your truth and your wisdom, your instruction. God, I could never convince someone to do that. Will you do that? Will you show us, give us a hunger? In your name we pray, amen.